What's up, dudes? <laughs> What's up, Jeff? It must be cold. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. Oh, Jeff. Uh, or just, I guess, in the interest of health, like, I'm starting to feel, like, a little sick this week. So I might, oh. like, postpone our walk. Just I wouldn't want to get you sick or something. Awesome. 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 Oh, hi, guys. Hi, how you doing, Jeff? I'm just not. not I've been in this fucking freaking chair for like six hours. And I'm going for like, uh, what, four or five today, so. so. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. What you been working on? Uh, uh, videos. I got two videos, uh, raw content filmed. And then I'm I, uh, around 2.15, started uh, walking the walk rather than talking the talk. So I'm editing. Uh, um, podcast for uh, for the last uh, post that I did. Um, I'm three minutes into the editing job. <laughs> so, yeah, but I but I also uh, recorded it, so that's got to count for something, right? Yeah. Or the post on goals. Yeah, I wrote. I read it like you suggested. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, so it's not ready yet, and I don't think for this iteration, I don't think I'm gonna do the music, unless you could convince me. I'm kind of open, but I, I there's I'm, I'm feeling a little bit. Um, my backpack feels heavy, um, and so I what I I feel like the thing that I wanted to do was to start developing the production mechanisms, um, and so I'm not as worried about the music for this one. I'd like to add that later, but if you if you were to push me hard on it, I could be convinced. No, I think just getting that, just the fact that you're doing that and you're, you know, trying it is already huge progress. And the login for the anchor.fm is the same login oh, cool. <laughs> as, as our uh, YouTube. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And I think, I, yeah, um, I, I have it written somewhere. I might contact you uh privately about that just to remind myself i, I know that i have it written somewhere but um yeah so I, I'll, I'll get that hopefully i'll get that done and then coordinate uh via text about that i have one other video that i'm supposed to finish the video i'm like dragging my feet on though um yeah i haven't figured out i want to do a, a a review of how the horizons of focus model is baked into the structure that you see here um not you but just in general like how i use that model the goal the model for my goals basically affects the the entire organization structure of the room that i'm sitting in right now um and so i wanted to capture that a little bit but i'm just i'm like it's kind of a hard thing because i got to get there's like multiple steps to that so <laughs> yeah great uh, I'm doing okay. I can't believe final exams are in like four and a half weeks. But wow. um, yeah, how about you, Steve? Um, good. I've been spent my weekend in Sacramento and visiting family, and I've been emailing back and forth trying to fix some things. I know Jeff. You know, I had changed my major, uh, and if I want to register for like the major specific math classes so they get the first pick if you're a math major and I'm still I was still technically in the college of engineering so I've had to like reach out to like different people at different stages to where my petition is going through and now I'm like at like 
think the second last stage and I'm waiting for a reply. Hopefully someone replies to me today, but I, my pass date is the ninth. So I'm hoping to get everything done by then. And I didn't think it would take this long because I, I had sent my first email probably like three weeks ago, but like, I guess it takes time to get to people, get replies um, and then get stuff passed. So I'm hoping I can figure that out and register for classes in time. Awesome. That's how bureaucracy works, right? Yeah. Uh, any other updates? From either of you guys? <laughs> um, I guess on a positive end, um, I had a nice office hours with David Taylor today cool. and, uh, and he shared some, you know, some pretty strong anecdotes on himself reflecting and realizing that he doesn't get much support in terms of like teaching better so that that's really on, on the teacher. Um, he shared a funny story of his like first year evaluations. One student wrote like, I really wish my teachers knew how to teach. And then, you know, after he's been teaching, I think over a decade or so, and he's like, there was a lot, there was a lot of insight in that little, little one phraser that his sentence shared from many, many years ago. So I can see him actively working on finding ways to do better for himself. So hard. That's a, that's a policy problem. The moment, the moment that a person gets to that stage of consciousness, then we can say policy. Assuming that he, it sounds like he has an active desire to try to improve. Always, yeah. That's actually one of our, yeah, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. That's actually one of our agenda items. I, I thought, I've been thinking quite a bit about the plan, act, reflect cycle. Jeff, I, I'll drop the awesome. link. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, but the, the plan, act, reflect cycle, if I think about it in the, um, related to all the self-help and productivity stuff that I've been listening to, it's like, it's actually really, really powerful, right? Like, even though they're just three words, <laughs> um, I personally, like, I feel like I plan, act, and reflect on our meetings way more than any of my CS lectures or CS meetings. And I think there's a lot to be said there. But before we get into that, maybe we can just do an overview of the agenda points, unless... Um, either of you have any more thoughts to share? Uh, that sounds good with me. If uh, I wanted to ask Steve about if you if you had a chance to uh, grab one of those books as a check-in. Oh, uh, I think maybe did you already have one? Did you already have the Jocelyn Palomino? Oh yeah, I already have it. Awesome. Did you have a chance to start reading? Uh no. Uh, I just got. Uh, I didn't spend the weekend here, so good for you. I'm a little bit behind on that. But, not behind. What are you talking about? We, you're ahead. <laughs> yeah, like, the book we're talking about, just for uh, reference, in this one, um, one of the things that Steve and I talked about last week, um, Henry, in if we think about the four levels of, you know, mastery in college education, learn how to learn, which is conquering college, uh, get paid to learn, which is um, how to get scholarships from the classroom to the bank and then setting up for a lifelong learning, professional development, right? Um, Steve and I had been reflecting last week that he's definitely in a stage where he 
is becoming more and more fluent in the conquering college mechanism and like learning how to navigate these classes, learning how to navigate the system, et cetera. And so same is true for you, Henry, right? Like you're still actively doing good exploratory work there, but like, you, I think Steve is ready and you are ready as well, like to move on to the next one. And so Steve, did you want to share a little bit of the, um, of your kind of framework or uh, what algorithm for, for that next stage? That we talked about the end there um specifically for like applying to scholarships yeah what were some of the things you were thinking about trying for that for that mechanism well i think we're referring to is like stealing as much information from henry uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh so, yeah oh henry have you shared with me in the past like i don't know if you have uh, a list of like the scholarships you've applied for? Uh, no, not a comprehensive list, just a little bit here and there. And we were going to meet last night, but you weren't feeling well for that conversation. Mm. But I'm so happy that you're feeling better today and that you're here. Um, but yes, I can definitely create a list of, you know, I, we talked about this last meeting, but I was thinking like my internship at OpenStax, my research role in the College of Ed, uh, cover letters that I've written since uh, my converse, my um, me being ignited on writing and reading from Jeff, all of that is super related to statements of purposes and personal statements. I, I'm quite confident I wouldn't have gone that internship, that research role, if I didn't really reflect on my statement of purpose. So it's a really, really powerful uh, and worthwhile investment, right, in thinking and writing. So yes, I'm happy to share with you a list of, of what I would consider maybe small accolades or milestones that I was able to achieve simply because I thought more deeply about my life and my experiences. And then I went and wrote on it, right, to tell other people. Yeah, so then, one thing that I'll say just for uh, reference, this that habit that you guys, two habits that I see here that are super useful, number one, creating a, a framework that you can capture those small milestones so that you can look back years later. Just like, I, I don't know if you have that framework already, like a Word document or a Google document, um, Henry, that you just kind of, every time you achieve one, you put it on there. I have something, it's kind of like a journal, but um, I, I, editable? editable, yeah. So you have a journal that you, as you, as you apply for them and then you get them, you just put the, the name of those in that journal. Yeah. And then a little reflection piece. That's awesome. That is a super useful habit. Like even if you, if you get it or you don't get it, I love the idea that you're like reflecting on it afterwards. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was also going to mention, like, I know we've probably, I, we've definitely touched on this in the past, but at least for me, go for one scholarship a quarter. I know Henry might be like, that's, that's too few. <laughs> but uh, uh, I guess that's my, my goalpost that I'm setting. Yeah, uh, for me, that was, I, I used to do that as well, just one a quarter, and then I would go Henry. Um, Henry turned Clark Kent into Superman. <laughs> um, the, the other thing that I would say, that is super useful in the scholarship systems is finding people that are close friends or colleagues 
that have been successful in scholarships that you're looking to get and having them share their lessons with you. The least uh, resource intense version of that is just having them share successful statement of purpose or share successful applications because they've already written it. It's just a document on the computer. They can send it to you. Normally when I've got had that happen in my past, uh, folks will ask those to keep private and I completely, if they're willing to share it, I'll keep everything private. But the idea is that you get kind of get insights into that. This book, uh, I actually didn't read this book when I was a, a student, um, but I think it's well written anyways. I spent a number of hours um, reading it myself and it's by two authors that have a lot of success in this. And I think they actually include uh, different essays and scholarship uh, writing in that book as an example. Um, and the idea is that to kind of have a model to go on instead of going from a blank slate. So uh, the biggest one-time scholarship I ever got um, when I was writing some of that work, I knew one of the people that got it either the year before me or two years before me. And so I asked that woman if she would share her application and she was happy to do it because she was, she said to me, like, you need to go for the scholarship. You, you're perfect for it. Um, and so that was a way that I got that. And so I guess those two habits, like having a capture system by which you can reflect on your learning, whether or not you get it. If you get it, it's nice because you can turn it into a CV or a resume, right? If you don't get it, it's actually really, really nice to be able to like reflect what were the things you did well? What were the things that were useful? How was this powerful? Um, and then use that for future learning so that when you go for your next scholarship, you can read back like, oh, these are the things I want to change. This was the lesson that I got out of that. And then the second thing is start developing a network of like-minded scholars where you can leverage their work as a way to, to teach yourself without actually having to burn yourself on the stove, so to speak, right? Um, and that can be people that you actually know, or it can be resources online or through books that you purchase, right? And the challenge that I always pose to myself, and I would pose this, you know, Henry has taken this and run with it is every dollar that you spend, let that be a dollar you plan to earn back at minimum, right? So, you know, I spent probably $20 on those books over the course of my career, hundreds of thousands of dollars of scholarship and internship money that I earned, right? Um, and so that would be the, you know, that when I, the reason that I say that is it's not always easy to convince yourself that you should be spending money on these books, but I always like to, it's like a bet, right? Like you're literally betting. If I buy this book and then I read it deeply and then I actually implement my plan, I'm betting that I'm going to be strategic enough and gritty enough that at some point it's going to pay off and it will pay back every cent of the book that I, that I purchased and more, right? this day, I still think about the idea of um, every minute I spend in personal statement drafting or writing is, is one minute that I can um, utilize for a happier life. And that, that's been a powerful one. You know, I, I spent a good amount of hours coaching Balram this, this time around on his personal statements and uh, just kind of taking a backseat and seeing him think through his life. I was like, holy cow, this is like super important in designing a career and a life that we love because I, I don't think many people do take that introspective of a look at what they've experienced and where they want to be. So 
And it's a really big one. Like my McNair's opportunity, it's not like I, I don't think I completely stumbled upon that. I think it's because I spent many hours uh, thinking about my life when I went into that program and, and met those uh, people in the team, I was able to communicate my story in somewhat of an effective way for them to be like, you might want to apply to the McNair's program, right? Otherwise, you know, yeah, that's one of the joys of reading and writing. <laughs> yeah, and if we were to zoom, if we were to use the focus model on that particular thing, if we think about any one scholarship essay that might exist on a project or a short-term goal level, if it's a, you know, so Steve, you probably, I remember a while back, you had already identified some scholarships that are coming up, that were coming up. I don't know if they're past already, but like they were within a year basically, right? Yeah. So on the horizons of focus model, we would say that those are, pro if you've activated it, then I would call it an active project. So an active project is like, okay, I found the scholarship. I want to apply and I started writing. <laughs> right. If it's not an active project, I would call it either a someday maybe or inactive. Inactive means you've started it before, but then you put it on pause. Someday maybe means it's on your radar. You want to do it, but you're not actively working on it, right? And in those situations, I would, I would level that up to a short-term goal because a lot of these you're thinking about doing within the next well, one to five years, right? Okay, so if we think about the horizons of focus model, stuff that you're actively working on is the active project that's within the next year. And then you got these someday maybes that I would bump this type of category to like the short-term goals within one to five years from now. But the funny thing about that, what Henry was just saying is because you're, because we are exposing ourselves to a forum by which we are forced to answer questions about what we want to do, why we want to do it, how that relates to our future, et cetera. It is almost as if we're putting ourselves through experience that we're getting quote unquote credit to start going higher in the horizons of focus model to go to what is our, you know, what are our mid-level goals? What do we want to do in five to 15 years? What's our top level goal? What's the one thing when we die in our professional life that we want to say we've done well? What is our vision, value, and purpose? Why do we exist on this earth? What do we believe in, right? And so you remember a few weeks back, we were talking about the student makes the school, the school doesn't make the student. Where in, you know, here's a question. Think about every class that you've ever taken. How many times, how, count them, has a professor said, what do you want to do in the next 10 to 15 years? Why do you want to do that? Why is it important? And how can I help you achieve those goals? Right? Yeah, there are, you know, I would, I would challenge all professors to do that type of work because I think that's really the work that the student is sitting there to try to find out, right? <laughs> to be honest with you, like at the end of the day, that's what the student wants. So if, if they want that and we're trying to help them towards that, like I think that's way more important than learning the F print F function in MATLAB, <laughs> personally. Um, but, okay, so you two are living examples of this, right? So. If, how many college classes have you taken? More than 10? More than 20? Probably not. Yeah, yeah you, could, you, could, you could do that estimation, but would you, would you say that the answers to those types of questions are important for yourself? 
like what you want to do with the rest of your life. So by engaging in the scholarship habit, and this relates to the larger process of the learning code, by finding mechanisms to fill the gaps of the institution, you're actually empowering yourself not only to navigate the institution more strategically, more effectively, but also start crafting visions for your life, which makes what you're doing in college more valuable. And, oh yeah, by the way, sometimes that might actually lead to you having more money in your pocket. <laughs> and so that, you know, th that habit, the reason that I think that doing well in classes is really important is because it kind of sets the foundation so you can ma manage all the different um, priorities on your time, right? Like, I, I think that's a useful strategic mechanism, but I, you know, I, this is one of the habits that I think is really foundational as you become a more and more fluent learner to not only navigate the institution, but put but really like find mechanisms by which you can be introspective and get credit for it, even when the institution is not invested in those mechanisms, right? And that's part of the process in your case individually, Steve and Henry as well and mine, but also for all people who are interested in leveraging the ideas of the learning code. This is part of the process of defining the institution like literally leveraging the value of the institution to craft our own vision rather than just following the institution's guidance and then ending with a piece of paper, right? Wait, you said leveraging the value of the institution? Yeah, so here's a claim. It is true that UC Davis, for example, has a ton of valuable scholarships. The challenge, however, though, is that there's nobody that's actively going out and like advertising in classes to say, hey, you should apply for this. And hey, these are the skills that you need. And oh yeah, by the way, when you fail, this is how you should think about it, right? So in other words, like it's up to the student to find that. And I recognize that paradigm, but the challenge there though is that the type of information necessary to make the decision to engage in this is not equal to the type of information provided on a day-to-day -day basis to the average student, right? Yeah. And so you'll have students like you two, for example, when I look at you two, you guys are super powerful students, but when you walk into an institution, when you walked back when, right? In your personal networks, you guys didn't have really robust sources of information necessarily as first-generation students, right? Like you, I, I've heard this from your, you could say this much better than I did, but listening to your story, when you've told me about your story, when I've been so honored and lucky to hear about your story, your parents weren't giving you information about how to navigate the institution and what type of questions to ask. Both of you guys are hard workers and you're kind of strategic in the sense that you keep your ears open, right? But imagine how many other students are in your same position that they weren't exposed to that and thus didn't never had the chance, right? And so when I'm saying like leverage the value of the institution, I'm not saying, th this is what I mean, the student makes the school. When you, Steve, start to engage in the scholarship process, you are literally saying, hey, UC Davis, I know I can get through this without doing a single scholarship. And I know that I can get my degree without ever asking myself the question, what do I want to do with this? But I'm not going to let you take that from me. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to force you as an institution 
to help me find answers. And I'm going to actually go into the different spaces in the institution and search for mechanisms by which I can get paid to learn and by which I can get quote unquote credit or why I can set aside ritual time to start defining my purpose here. And that's what I mean when I say the student makes the school, the school doesn't make the student. If, if I, as a student engaged at UC Davis, the way UC Davis would expect of me, you know what that would be? Show up to class, do my homework, go home, take the tests, finish my degree. In fact, at UC Davis, this is true. One of the professors there said, looked in my eyes and said, you think too much. <laughs> like, why don't you just do what I'm telling you to do? He didn't say the second one. He said the first one. The second one was the connotation, right? And I thought while he said that, that's a very privileged thing for somebody that's sitting with tenure, owns a home in the Bay Area, and probably has six figures in his bank account at the end of every year, right? And so for me, or for you, or for Henry does this really, really well as well, like, finding spaces, finding mechanisms that you can pull the levers that exist at that school to make an education for yourself. The student makes the school. The school doesn't make the student. The one case that that's false is a, a university like DeVry University that is in the, that, the business of defrauding students, right? But if you're at an accredited institution in the United States, and especially one like the ones you guys are at, Just real quick, if we use a more loose definition of scholarship, Steve, every tutoring mentorship position, including our um, employment at TechCore, that is a scholarship, right? Not one where we had to formally write a personal statement, get references, but but kind of informally, that that is for sure a scholarship. My favorite ones are when I write for like 10 hours and then I get like a thousand dollars. Those are my favorite scholarships. The ones that you guys are talking about are labor-based scholarships, right? So you, you get money for physical labor, which is actually really, really good for the next level up. The, um, from the classroom to the bank, right? Because when you do something like TechCore, you have now a resumeable experience that directly relates, assuming that you wanted to go into teaching, that directly relates to the uh, larger career path that you have, right? And so, you know, the reason that I like for scholarships, the reason that I like the ones where I write for 10 hours and then I get $1,000 is because writing is on my time, right? I can choose when I write, I can choose how I write, et cetera. And then... It's also a fixed input, right? Like I, I, have to, I have to get to the place where I, get, I submit the scholarship, but once I submitted it, like the scholarship comes and then I move on. And what's nice about that is that means I can front load my writing for the summers. You know, it's not quite as easy as this, but like if, especially if I'm thinking months in advance, if I know there's a scholarship essay due at the end of December and I've already started writing it in August, then I get to distribute that work when I feel most appropriate over four months of my life. And then when the payout happens, I'm leveraging work from the past to support current studies, which means I'm decreasing my labor work and increasing my study work, right? 
So the way that I always think about it is like, if I'm, if I need a flow of money, I either get that from physical labor where I'm having to show up physically in a space and like set aside daily time. But you know, the moment that hap what happens when I set aside time for, for labor, what happens to my study time? You know, so it goes like this, right? But if I'm offsetting, if the current cash flow is coming from work that I did four months ago, and I'm not actually having to do physical labor other than showing up for a ceremony and perhaps doing a, a quick media outlet, and then I'm setting a series of those up over months and months and months, I'm basically earning the right to study. Now, I think the whole fucking system is stupid. Like, to be honest with you, we should just fund fully this college education so that I would still apply for scholarships because I think it's useful to do that, right? Like, I think it's, you know, a scholarship could help me buy a computer. It could help me buy books or whatever. But like, in terms of paying tuition and paying rent, like we should just fund that. It's, that's so that you're not having disparate outcomes for students that have access to money and students that don't have access to money. Like just let's, that's something that we can do as a, as a, as a society, right? We can, it is in the interest of society that we have smart college educated people and it's way easier to be college educated when you're not worrying about putting food on the table and paying tuition bills and you just have that covered. Now that's a policy thing that I personally feel about. You guys can disagree with that, right? Um, but in the meantime, until that system changes, my claim would be what can we do individually to like leverage the, the actual options that we have. And that's where scholarship fits into that, to that category. Also calling your representatives and saying, I'm a college, struggling college student. Why aren't you guys funding this at a higher level so that I'm not having to pay tuition out of my labor money and I can actually focus on my classes, right? Vote. <laughs> One thing that resonated with me in that was the idea of crafting a vision. I think I can do a much better job at that, like I would say per lecture. <laughs> so I think we'll get to that um, in our agenda item with the plan, act, and reflect. Um, but that's a, that's a, such a big one, actually. And I, I love yeah, how simple it is. But I, this is a nice little synopsis because it relates to some of the larger mission statements of the learning code. Specifically, we talked about mission statement five, which I butchered, right? Which was maximize your financial return for college. Just stupid. Maximize the value that you get from college i think was one of the things you were saying right henry yeah and when i so i actually recorded i read that one and i recorded it and i posted it and when i got to that word i think i just said maximize your return on investment from college so yeah yeah and, and the idea there like when i think about that particular item there's a few different ways that i i think about it you know increase the amount of money that you take in decrease the cost of college so get more scholarships. You could do labor, but labor takes away from study time. That's why I think scholarships are so nice, right? It's like a dual, a dual, you know, you get two for the price of one. A scholarship allows you to reflect deeply on your future. And if you actually get lucky enough to get it, the, the real benefit is the reflection. But if you even get lucky enough to get it, it means that you get money to do that, right? And then the money that you get is not labor money. It's not that you're physically spending time. It's, it's money that you can leverage to do more study right? So that's one thing. Minimize the cost. Go to community college rather than UC for the first two years. Get a better education for cheaper, right? When you go to the UC, are there ways that you can, you know, save money? Think critically about that or local, local colleges you can do. 
And then also when you're defining the value, really think critically about what it is that you want to get from that education and then design those things as experiences that you do, many of which will happen outside the classroom and require active searching in order to satisfy. And so I think the reason why I thought that this was super important for today, and we can go back to the larger uh, structure, but this conversation that we're having about empowering Steve to get his first scholarship essay in and really like doing that habitually is part of the larger theme in the learning code, which is not only learn how to be a professional learner, but do so in ways that, that help us individually end our degree in a space with less financial burden. Much of that should be, felt, should be done through policy. Let me be quite clear. I think it is stupid that we put these type of decisions on the shoulder of students. This is, of course, my own personal opinion. There are other people that say government shouldn't be part of my own issues. I need to deal with that. But I have very, very strong uh, feelings about the inequities in our system that lead to disparate outcomes. And I feel that systemically, if we're going to judge everybody by the same metric, then we should provide the same level of support so that a student's mind can focus on the task of learning not on the task of putting food on the table, right? But this discussion about how to navigate scholarships is very much aligned with the idea of empowering learners like you guys. And you guys, I should shut up. Like, let me just, in fact, watch me. I'm now. <laughs> no, like, I mean, if we applied that, this kind of depth of thinking um, for scholarships to how much we can uh, learn or how much we can be inspired to learn um, from our lectures, I think many of us would suffer a little less from, from the idea of lectures. Uh, okay, so um, we can do an overview of the agenda and um, we definitely don't have to hit all the points on the agenda. <laughs> Jeff, are you gonna stand up for the rest? I, I, I need to stand up, my, my legs are like, can you see me? Yeah, yeah we can see you. you you're, that's a monitor, right? You have two monitors. I have three monitors now. <laughs> gorgeous. I see. Okay, um, so let's see. One thing we might wanna talk about is uh, and this, we can keep an open loop on this, and is how to best organize the topics that we cover from each of our meetings so that we can actually reference and, and share the, the, the meetings and the timestamps with uh, others or for ourselves <laughs> in the future. So I, I have some ideas on this. Like I, I can just pretty much compile um, our meeting notes with timestamps at the bottom into one master document and that could be a beginning, but so what we can come back to that. Um, can you, so I, one of the questions that I have for you on this item, um, how much processing time do you, does it take to, to convert? Can you, can you describe the process that preempts this question? Yeah. So during our live meeting, uh, I'll, I'll take notes and in the past I've taken notes by pretty much transcribing as much as I can 
whenever you two speak. And then I realized that wasn't really effective. <laughs> um, so in the last two meetings that we've had, I've been able to um, take more maybe concise notes um, in the actual meeting agenda document. Uh, and then I'll have approximate timestamps on it. So the live recording on YouTube, as soon as this meeting ends, it, it's pretty much published. And then what I'll do is I'll just copy and paste the meeting notes with timestamps into the YouTube des description. So it'll be generally around that ballpark. So for example, today at around the eight minute mark, we began talking about uh, scholarship prep. Um, but as you can tell, I wrote a lot <laughs> because there was a lot of ideas, right? Frameworks, capturing small milestones, um, finding people who are close to you and, and having them share your lessons, et cetera, all of that. So from like eight minutes to 27, that, that's how much was covered. But I think all of it was under this idea of scholarships. So it's, I didn't make another timestamp for it. Um, I think two or three meetings ago is where I actually cut apart the full meeting into um, some different sections through Adobe Premiere. And that, that probably took some time just because my initial round of notes um, was more transcription and not like larger topics and categories. So I'm still getting better at this, like how, how, to, how to do this, but um, it's not too big of an investment for sure. Well, this is you, th this process that you're doing right now is so powerful where you're like live capturing the timestamps so that you can just like copy and paste it. Yeah. When I was filming you, Jeff, for the linear algebra, I tried to do that on that paper, remember? But um, so you know what's funny about that, Henry, is that it dawned on me as I was doing my MATLAB videos that that's what you were trying to coach me to do. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's what you were trying to uh, position me to be able to just use those as timestamps, right? Yeah, and then you can look at the audio marks or the, the levels of the audios, but I know I didn't explicitly state it. And I knew it was off too, because there was- Well, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit different in the sense that uh, the reason that this is so powerful is because this is an actual live recording. And so your raw, the raw film is like, the timestamps correlate with that. Whereas when I, when I was using the, so what I would do is I would take like one MP4 file and I would break it into five different actual recordings, right? And so minute 10 on the actual recording correlated to like minute two of the raw data for the second video, right? And so it ended up that when I was trying to do the timestamps, I had to do a lot of math and it was easier just to look at the darn thing. And I didn't know at that point, I was not as conscious about the fact that I could use timestamps to organize my content, right? So you were four steps ahead of your teacher in that case. <laughs> yeah, and then one day I'll show you the Adobe Premiere thing. I, I think there is a way that I can get you access to that. I've been- I have it, I have it, I have access to that now. You have access to Adobe Premiere? Yeah, uh, we, have, we have Adobe Creative Cloud. I, so this week I've been doing some stuff that I thought would make you proud. Fulio College gave me that new computer that I've been working for two years. <laughs> yeah, so they gave me a new computer. And when I went there, the guy was like, oh, do you use Adobe products? And I, the first thing I said is yes, even though I, I hadn't, right? Because I was thinking about you. And so we got, I have access to like, you know, 80 different Adobe products. Spark, I got, you know, Premiere is one of them. Illustrated, I spent like seven hours 
making a um, model of a simple von Neumann machine to describe what for loops do. And that was, yeah. Anyways. Awesome. I okay, I can totally um, uh, show you my processes of how I cut up that meeting from a few meetings ago. Awesome. Because it was it was really efficient compared to when I tried it on Camtasia. During yeah, oh, research. definitely. I think I, what I learned recently is Camtasia is child's play compared to Adobe products. Oh my God, the math. Have you seen the just the audio effects alone? There's like so many options and visual effects in Adobe Premiere. Yeah, have you, Steve, have you played with this stuff before? Uh, with Adobe Premiere? No, just like Photoshop. But even that, it's a little complicated. Yeah, it's, it's quite crazy. Um, this guy did a good job with this. Give me a second here. There's this. Um, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. I hate the fact that they get automatic ads. I love the fact that the creators get paid. I hate that the, you have to do ads for that. Um, so in this here, I'm, this, this guy did a good job. So that video is titled all 50 plus Adobe apps explained in 10 minutes. Hmm. So he describes the difference between all the Adobe apps. Um, and that was useful. Yeah. He's so like, I made yeah. this video. To so when you're at some point, you guys might like reading that, but uh, because of you, Henry, I've decided that I will slowly transition into um, Adobe products away from Camtasia. It's going to take me a few years, but to do it well, but, I'm, I'm gonna do it. Okay. Um, all right. So for the so the question that you have there is so so okay. So you have this process that you're cutting them up, and the question is okay. Once you have this raw content, it would be really powerful to be able to link in future um, media content, whether that be videos or uh, blog posts or podcasts backwards to the stuff that we've already created right mm -hmm. and so you you're recognizing that right now all we have is raw cannon fire and it's actually we have so much of that that it's hard, <laughs> hard to remember what we have question mark yeah like for example uh two weeks ago you um you talked about the uh uc's 80 percent research 20 percent teaching that whole entire split including the donahue act right but like if you imagine when you have a student next uh, quarter and you actually want, you feel like they, they might want to hear you talk about that. I don't think, you, how are you going to know what video it's on and around what time it is? And I think that it's, if we create a master list of our meetings and the topics covered in our meetings with approximate timestamps, then that wouldn't be too far of a stretch to be able to begin dispersing some of the, the stuff you're sharing with Steve and I, right? to a larger crowd. That's an awesome idea. Yeah. As far as like actually cutting them into more digestible chunks like that, that's something I'm working on. And uh, there's, there's a lot. Yeah. I'd be happy to share some of that labor as we figure out the flow. Like I, that's part of the, what I'm trying to do by getting myself up and running on that. So it's not fair that one person has to do, if we're going to use that type of mechanism, it'd be nice, like, uh, Toastmasters, right? It would be really nice to be able to, you know, some days you do table topics, master, some days you do um, timer, some days, right? It would be nice to be able to shift the responsibility around so that each of us kind of gets a sense of the different um, 
you know, so I, I want after one meeting, I can cut it up in Adobe Premiere and Steve is taking the timestamps and Henry, you're just talking, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. So um, from today, I will I'll start a master list of the meetings that we have and I'll try to get out the topics of the meetings with approximate timestamps. But I guess that part's already being done live during meeting for the most part, unless I go back and make it into shorter clips in which I would try to get more detailed and understanding this five minute clip is about all these sub themes too. Yeah, and I, I'd be so happy if you could coach us. I, you, I think you, one of the things I noticed as I was looking at that right now is you are good at this. You have a pretty good system. Um, and so, you know, I could, I, if I'm going to do that job, I could try to recreate that for myself or I could learn from wisdom, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm definitely happy to share. I also just feel like I'm, um, every meeting for our, since the big meeting that we had with the admins, I'm still working on the system itself. So yes, yes, I will definitely share with both of you how to, it's a big one. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Point, I, it was just a little note. I think um, you had texted me, Jeff, that you had captured a question about podcasting, but it sounds like you're, uh, you're already on it. Like you're already re recording <laughs> and trying yeah, to. Yeah, I, I think the question was about like, just how, do, how would I put it on the learning code? But I don't think that's hard. As long as I have access to the account, I think I can just upload it, put a title on it. Yep. Um, do you, do you are there certain formats that you would recommend that I like timestamping or show notes or something like that, that you would recommend for the next iteration? If it is, if the file is just you reading the, uh, your blog post, then no, I, I think in the description, you should just link to your blog post and then the title can literally be the blog post title. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here. Um, let's see. So if, Points four, five, and six. <laughs> points four, uh, I was wondering, well, point four is actually two points. So the one, one point in point four is the learning needs hierarchy. Um, Jeff so beautifully presented in his CMC cube talk. Uh, but another point of this, you know, as I've been thinking about the plan, act, and reflect, um, it over the past couple weeks, this is something I, we might think about expanding upon too. Um, because it, there's like, like, to be honest, at some point we were saying like study skills and learning habits is actually commonsensical, <laughs> but, but it's actually, you know, it's only commonsensical after you like get the ball rolling and you're doing it, you know, it's, it's actually not that commonsensical. Like, why is it that I plan, act and reflect for our meetings for the learning code 10 times as much as I plan, act and reflect for my lectures in, in data structures? Like there, there's. Um, it's actually quite complex, right? So we can do that. And then Steve and I had a few brief um, mini conversations about Seth Godin's blog. I, 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 Jeff, I don't know if you, if you read any of his recent blog posts. The, I read the, some of his blog posts, but recent, uh, can you define recent? <laughs> um, anything probably within the last two years, it seems. Yeah, I've read some of those things. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like really short and sweet. And, and I, I realized, you know, the, he's kind of earned the right to, to make them short and sweet with how much he writes and, you know, cutting the fat, et cetera. So, and he also has an Instagram page, but I don't think we need to cover that today. Uh, number six, just real quick. So this is something uh, that was number six was part of my to do for this week, which was expanding on 
Um, the question that Jeff had for us from his research is what we hope to achieve through online video. And uh, immediately I feel that the time that we spend in these meetings is really precious, as I've mentioned over and over again. So I think we can really um, not only, you know, I don't know, rekindle our morale <laughs> and our spirits in this teaching and learning journey during our meetings, but we can also make some pretty authentic and cool videos that can help others. And we've already been doing that. But um, since last week i shared those seven points the being being catchy right being strategically entertaining funny factual authentic um, evidence-based and shareable and then i dug a little deeper in thinking about this um, so one of the i would say our our competitive edges or maybe one of the ways i feel that our content can help students in the youtube space that i don't see being addressed is weaving in the learning science and the pedagogy and the academic navigation, as well as even a bit of critical race theory. So um, I know that we can do that for in our content for our audience members. And that's something that um, the, the, the next layer to that is how do we do that, right? Because ultimately I am far from an expert in any of those things. So if I just talk about it in a meeting format, I'm not even quite sure I would be that uh, keen to share, even if it's a four minute clip of me talking about what I prepped with my classmates. Um, so I've been thinking about, there's this comedian called Andrew Schultz. I, I watched him perform live six years ago in Sunnyvale at the comedy club Rooster Tea Feathers for free. And I remember him trying to slang like CDs at the end of that thing, like so many old school comics do. Since then, he has now about 1.5 million YouTube subscribers. Um, he gives this 11 minute TED talk that I link in here. And he, he talks about like, can comedy ever be funny? Like, how do we really be authentic without hurting people's feelings, without... Um, and, and doing that because that's his craft. And what resonated with me is when he said that when he began like giving out content, um, he first gave it in long form, like it was like hour long clips when he first started uploading. Uh, but then he invested in a media guy and then they started editing the clips to make it more snappy and, and short and digestible. And that, that's when he really started selling out a lot of his comedy shows. And I think there's two, two things. I think one is an exercise that I think might, we might try is like writing our own comedy sketches that is couched in learning science, our experiences as we were navigating the system. Um, like, you know, not like slapstick comedy, but like, like legitimate stories. So I actually prepared one today that, I, that I'm happy to present a little bit. Um, I love, I think Andrew is pretty cool. He, and on YouTube world, he's, he's considered like the king of crowd work where he like roasts um, his audience members. And, you know, I don't think we have the medium to do that really, but I think we do, we can, we can there's certainly capture some laughs and we can certainly bring authenticity to what it means to learn and what it means to get good grades. Uh, so I thought that'd be a fun creative exercise we might want to explore. Um, so that is an overview of some thoughts I had. And last 
last meeting, I'm so happy that Jeff brought up Fink's significant learning experiences. Um, I, I do think we've already had segments of our meetings where we cover learning how to learn, caring, human dimension, as well as integration. So uh, I think we can continue to do that. And if, if I think about the seventh point of, of the, our stuff potentially being shareable in the future, I, I know that if we can exercise some creativity by leveraging humor in, in like, like helping students focus how to learn or focus on creating significant learning experiences, I think we can do it. I think there are definitely ways to do it. My, my, today's example isn't totally that, but it, it's something. <laughs> I've never actually scripted a, a segment of comedy, so. Um, okay, I'm gonna open the floor up. It won't take me long to, to read what I had drafted for the comedy thing, but um, Jeff, also like, if you feel we should at least dedicate 10 minutes to your learning needs hierarchy, I can feature a little bit of your, your talk and then we can dig a little deeper. And, and, it's, and, and that talk was catered towards um, instructors, right? But I think that learning needs hierarchy is also really, could be really beneficial for students, right? Like um, how they can approach that. Or we can talk about the plan act reflect cycle. Um, I, well, I think we should try like the comedy thing. I have some, I have some, um, Reservations. We, yeah, I, I'm so down to try. Like I, in Toastmasters, they have the um, so after you finish your um, competent communicator manual, there's ten speeches. They have specialty manuals, and I always wanted to get into the comedy one. There's this, you know, that that idea of being able to like work a room is is really exciting. But the further I ventured down that thought process, the more I realized that good comedy is a profession. There's a reason why these people get paid a lot, right? Um, and so I get a little bit nervous of the idea of like, and the other thing that's true about comedians, uh, some of the most popular comedians that we see will have teams of writers, like people that have done this for years. So you, so it's not the case that, uh, and that, that makes me a little nervous in the sense, like if I, if all of a sudden I'm using a metric, like, let me be like Hassan Minaj, for example, right. Who's right. just fucking funny, but he also has a team of writers that work that make a lot of money on that process. And so I like that. I if I set myself up like, let me try to de deliver jokes like this guy, while I'm doing all the <laughs> other stuff. I do. Like that makes me nervous because I'm gonna. It's not that I'm setting myself up for failure. Like I'm 100 percent sure I could do it, mm -hmm. but I'm not trying to be the host of a of a comedy show on Comedy Central, right? For sure. Um, and so one of the things that comes up for me as I hear this is I, uh, well, I guess two things. Number one, let's go for it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but number two is like, can we, can we approach it from a playful side rather than a, um, let me do this as a profession side. Right. Right. Because and the moment I think to myself, let me try to do this as a, like, let me compare myself to Hassan Minaj. I can already feel <laughs> Failure, <laughs> depression. <laughs> no, big time. I, I, I'm right with you, Jeff. I have some huge reservations on leveraging my academic experiences into comedy, right? But, but something that really was, you know, that I'm thinking about, if, if we define comedy as tragedy multiplied by time or like tension release, 
there's so much even though right now in our zoom online education all the screens are out there's still a hell of tension I, I i know i can sense it on the teacher's face i can sense it in the chat room there's a ton of tension and i think you know if our goal is some of this some of our meeting the the gems in our meetings to to resonate with others we might actually have to engage our audience first, right? Because like, I think you've worked really hard in igniting Steve and I in thinking about how to learn more deeply, but that's, that's because we've been lucky to have you for like two or three years, right? Many, many of the students won't have that um, luck. So yeah, so let's, oh, so yeah. why don't, yeah. yes. I, I'm, I'm in full agreement. Like, yes, make it, make it, yeah, it's part of Steve Stockman stuff, right? The one that was one of the major takeaways from that book. Like, if you want somebody to watch your stuff, you can't put them to sleep, right? Right, right. And you know, I'm, I'm never asleep when you're talking, but I also reckon I've also been in classrooms where you do talk about the significance of learning or learning how to learn. And I and I and you know, students. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you say you're never asleep, like you're the one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Steve's the second one, right? No, no, no. Favor, like you, you, when your head nods, you like pull it back up, right? Like even if the goal was like to help students think about learning how to learn, we might leverage comedy in positioning them to yes. then think deeply about that. Yes. And and you know you, you don't have the full luxury to do that because you're freaking tasked to talk about Green's theorem and Maxwell's theorem, but but we have all the freedom that we have in these meetings, so. Yeah we should stretch i'm I'm so that so from that standpoint like yes let's play and the fact of the matter is like in my my personal life i'm actually kind of a joker like i'm constantly sarcastic and etc but i because i have a position of power if i come into the classroom and start being like oh that was a nice try <laughs> you know like uh, <laughs> I, I don't I, I tend not to yeah but and from the standpoint of making it engaging yeah i'm so down yeah and, and, you know, I, I know another reason why you actually don't tap into your full sense of humor, Jeff, for your, when you're teaching is, is something that we touched on in the past, which is you recognize you are not the ones holding the full degree into the hands of your students, right? Meaning to say they're going to, that, that term is going to end and they're going to be dropped into Parkley's classroom or David Taylor's classroom. And as much fun as you would like to have with your students, as much as you would like to experiment with your students, ultimately you have to not only cover the syllabus, but, but prepare them for those settings. But with our, I think with our YouTube space, um, we can empathize with those students and the fact that the settings of where they're going to be dropped in and what they're going through right now. And, and then, you know, kind of like turn that focus into learning how to learn, for example. Yeah, so if you want to, if you want to lead with that, I mean, I'm so I, I'll get my notebook out. I'll start I'll start writing stuff down. <laughs> no, no, I I mean I'm sure you'll do your own research on 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 comedy, but yeah, I prepared something, and then um, maybe we can save the learning needs hierarchy and plan act reflect for next meeting because I think those two points are really important. Like, just a, a quick reflection: if I plan act and reflect it as much as I did for our meetings for my lectures, I would probably be a straight A student like no doubt in my mind, right? For sure. Invest, For invest sure. in planning and For invest sure. in reflecting. There's no, doubt, there's no doubt in my mind that, but it, you know, one of the things is like, w one thing that I would beg you to remember is in order to do that, you need the time. And if you have like at, at the level that you're at, there's literally not enough hours in the day 
to be able to do that level of thinking that you do in this space for every one of your classes, for every idea that they present in a particular <laughs> lecture, right? And so one thing is like, it's, it's on you guys, it's on the student to schedule themselves in a way that will, that opens enough room to do that. And then the second thing is just like, I would like, let's immediately forgive ourselves. Part of the plan, act or reflect cycle is that you're acting, right? And I think it's not easy. It actually takes a number of years to get to us. It took me a number of years to get to a space where I could use that type of um, mental exercise in order to understand STEM concepts. Um, and so I just like, you're getting there, Henry. The, I, I see that you have this skill in the various spaces that we work together, both in the past and in the present. And I have no doubt that as you learn to leverage that skill, if you think about that skill as a fire hose, you are slowly learning to turn the spigot of that fire hose in the direction that you desire, right? Like one of the reasons that's been so easy to do it in this space, I think is because this space is uh, a little bit more tangible from the stand, like it, it, there's a, a lower barrier to entry to this knowledge to be able to, I think that you've experienced a lower barrier to entry to be able to apply this knowledge in your daily life, which means that it's a lot easier to convince yourself why you should continue to put pressure on that, on that thing, right? Whereas in computer science, the way that we structure that field is so abstract that it's often painful to turn the, 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 the focus on, right? And so it takes a lot, for me, it took a lot longer in mathematics to figure out Oh, this is actually something I do want to turn this, right? <laughs> yeah, and that 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 note on boredom was was a big one too, right? But yeah, if, if we simplify plan, act, and reflect as act as the actual lecture, like attending lecture, like we're acting there, right? Like because we're at lecture, um, the the plan might be the preview, the reflect might be the review, right? Where the lecture rewrites, and it's it's yeah. Anyways, okay. Yeah. So let's let's Wolf. We'll, we can uh, we can. Table that I feel. Let's. Can we before you start? Should we check in with Steve because we haven't heard yes. from him yet? Yeah. Uh, actually, wanted to talk about the comedy part, but you guys are like, you guys had some great things to say, so I didn't want to interrupt. Uh, yeah. When I first read the bullet point, I was like, comedy. I don't know if I could integrate that, but I think now that you've explained it a bit more, I think I would. It does kind of excite me to think about trying to incorporate that in. Um, and I know for me, because I'm writing a blog piece on priming for lecture. So kind of like studying beforehand to make the most of their lecture while you're in the class itself. And I mean, I feel not that it's a boring blog piece, but like for me, I guess it's kind of exciting because like I've had so many problems with that and like I failed so many times, but like I can think of the fail The failures are kind of funny sometimes just because of like all the things that you just don't expect and you just get buried alive with so many things. And I, th I think trying to incorporate that past history and like a storytelling element rather than just like, cause I think, or the way I've written it so far is like what I'm planning to do next, but I'm not talking about all those failures I went through. Um, so I don't know if I'll do that yet, but like, I think I keep in mind that as I'm writing my next pieces, that kind of story element, Maybe in the future, like it could even be like a sketch or something. Uh, I think that's really great. And then also for Jeff, like I think it's nice that, or I think we could, yeah, easily start weaving that in, but we, we shouldn't expect to be like Dave Chappelle or something. Uh, 
Yeah. And I mean, even for Zoom, I know some professors are like kind of, or even if the professor is not monotone and sometimes it's just hard to just be active, especially when everyone is just a little screen on, uh, on the class. But one of my professors at Davis, I don't know if you know him, his name is Ben Morris. Um, and he, in between all of his lectures, he always took like a five-minute break. But in that five-minute break, he would just share some random story. And like, I think that was one of the things that drew me most to actually show up to the math class because uh, there's a chat. So like people would be like writing stuff in the chat, reacting to the story. And it was really funny. And like, if you didn't attend the lecture, you couldn't, re- you couldn't reply with a witty joke yourself. So it was just very engaging. And like, it made me look forward to going to the math class a lot, um, even if that content was really hard. So I think like this comedy has like a really appealing power. And Steve, I would, I would invite you to think about that experience in the lens of those seven um, categories of significant learning. Right. I have a feeling of, of where that comes in, but can you hear him, Steve? Uh, barely. Really? I'm plugging, you plug. Yeah, and from that experience, oh, and from that experience, I was going to say, like, you know, you kind of just learn, like, oh, your professor is a human being, too, with, like, awkward and funny uh, interactions. Like, I remember one of them, like, vividly right now was, like, he went to Berkeley a long time ago when, like, email was still coming out. And um, he was saying, like, it was, like, when... The, all the usernames weren't taken. So like he could just be like Ben at um, whatever, at whatever it was. And he had emailed this one girl in his class who thought he was cute or who he thought was cute. And then she was saying that like her email was broken and anything, but like, it was like the most obvious thing. She just didn't want to email him back. And like, it just made him a human, but like he didn't realize it at the time. But like, uh, I don't know. It just, it, gives that human element to the education and you know it's not as intimidating like oh this is some phd math professor it's like oh this is a guy who's been rejected he's done a bunch of like funny life experiences like he's just like us is my mic better now is my microphone Uh, bring it really close to your mouth maybe is it better now maybe i'll switch my headphones Can you all hear me better now? Can you hear me better now? Hello, hello? A little bit, yeah. Still, It's still a lot less than it was before, I don't know. It's still a lot less, maybe it's internet connection? This is better, this is better. It's better? Okay. It's better. Yeah. Um, I'm glad this is, you're, you're, you're willing to explore, Steve. Trust me, I have huge reservations on doing comedy and I've never done comedy so <laughs> I think having a sense of humor I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll at four because I got the next one but go for it get started okay 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 I'm just I'm just gonna uh, I'm just gonna read what I what I had written okay yeah, yeah, yeah. okay all right just yesterday in my operating systems class that has been crushing me all semester long my professor shared this reflection that really had me taken away 
He shared with us that he's been taking an online learning course on how to be a better online instructor. And knowing how understaffed and overworked our professors are, I was really touched that he had been investing time live in a term to look for ways to do better for his students and for himself. One of the improvements he implemented was getting our class of 30 to turn on their videos when we've all had our videos off for about the last eight weeks or so. It was just his teeny little face and his overly large slides on Zoom. Shout out to Seth Godin, slides are not the Roman keystone to learning. I was the only student Zooming with my video on at around the end of week two, and that didn't feel right because I was occupying just as much screen estate as my instructor. So I said to myself, I ain't no doctor yet, and I should let the sage on the sage have his limelight. I remember asking him if he'd prefer that I keep my video on, and he said he didn't care. So ultimately, I turned mine off. Week 10 rolls around, and he says to the entire class, I'll offer one extra credit point each day when you have your video turned on. And instantaneously, over half of the students turn on their video within a heartbeat. Students who I've never seen before, Students who are literally still in bed, snacking away with their triple chin, blitz to press video on. From one standpoint, this was a wonderful move that I appreciated because I enjoy seeing other students and had a video camera available to engage. I was ready to turn my video on without much friction. It's not like I had my whitey tighties down or something. However, from a fairness and equity perspective, I know there were students who don't even have a video camera. And then there are students who weren't prepared for such a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of one full extra credit point. Keep in mind, we've earned like a thousand points by now, so I'm not sure how the math works out there, but I think you can figure it out. And then there were students snoozing away and who have been hypnotized by the 10 weeks of lecture and probably didn't catch what he said. Not to mention the potential internet issues that turning on video may cause students who can't afford $100 per month of mediocre internet service at best around town. With an equity lens on, to offer extra credit in this way is not actually fair. But from a privileged and interested student standpoint, I loved it. Richer get higher grades, baby. Okay. <laughs> um, so that was, that, that, that took some time to write as far as the, the takeaways for, uh, if, if I think of my audience as college students, um, one is I might act, like, if, if this was in that live meeting, if this was like scheduled in, we can actually reflect on like what students can do to position themselves so that not only are they just more engaged in lecture, but like we can even go off and like segment into plan, act and reflect, to be honest, right? Let's like, so the next time, is there anything they can do to prepare a video camera to be turned on, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, I think something like that, probably in a shorter version, could be a good, like, catchy um, way of doing a tight lead or a hook for our content. Uh, I love it. The, for me, the funniest line in that whole thing was thinking about you and the professor sharing equal. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, that's all, I like it. I like the idea learning to, um, did you guys watch that, um, that Ted talk by Sir Robert, the guy, the, it, it was a while ago on creativity and learning, yeah, learning creativity, so. Ted talk, the one that, you, you know, that one, mm -hmm. he was funny. I mean, he's just like, he's like belly laughing funny. Um, if you haven't seen that one yet, Steve, um, 
I would highly recommend it. Um, Sir, what was his name? Sir Robert? Ken, Ken Robinson. Ken Robinson, yeah. He died, died recently. Oh, really? But guys, but like, I, I, I think we have so much insider information as far as like the tension and the tragedy that that be in our classrooms that many, like for sure, hella comics don't have, right? But ultimately, if our end goal is not just to have our audience members smile, but to learn more deeply, this is, I think... We, if we can, you know, begin exercising this to add into our arsenal of catchy leads, right, or tight leads, or or just to like feel like it's okay to share, right, to bring some life into the struggles that students are facing, um, it's fundamentally different than just talking about, let's say, the plan, act, and reflect cycle, right? If we can pair both. Yeah. What? What? I, I'll, I'll kind of uh, end my contribution because I got to roll pretty soon, but. One thing that I thought a lot about is the target of comedy. So I, I, um, when I was younger, I used to look into like the anatomy of a joke and there's always that contradiction that happens in the joke, right? Like you, you're, it's almost, I, in, in judo, we used to call it kazushi. So if I want to throw you, one of the ways that I throw is that I, I will get you off of your balance. So there's like three steps to the throw, right? There's the, the beginning, the middle and the end. And the beginning is always called kazush. Kazushi, like get you off of your balance. And then the execution, the middle one is I, I take advantage of that dis, disbalance and I feel like a joke. And then the third step is to, to actually uh, finish the throw, like the, the conclusion. In a joke, what I, what I remember reading about when I was younger was the idea that you're basically doing the same thing to the audience, right? Like you're setting them up and then you're, you're like you, you contradict you. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And there's usually a, a, a target of that. Like the one, when I used to think about, like there's usually a target at which you are aiming that contradiction. And in that way, humor can be a, a kind of a social um, rebuke, right? Like you can use humor to, um, to really like sting. And I, one of the questions that I've always had is, if we think about the tension in classes, so much of the tension has to do with power hierarchies has to do with the fact that the people that are holding the keys to the kingdom are not sharing their, their power responsibility equally, right? And so there's a, a lot of like, and so, you know, as you were speaking, that one of the reasons that I think that was so funny is because you were like, you, like that's a power hierarchy, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, I'm with you on that. And I think the, the, the thing that I always had find really challenging is how do you, how do I, how do I write content that because you're really, you're like setting up a story with the, with the intent of causing, causing mental friction that gets released as laughter. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I guess I'll leave that as an open question. Uh, I love the, the, the creativity, the, the exercise in creativity here. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I think for me to be able to share with my friends videos on learning, I think we, 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 Cinematography is one thing, animation is one thing, but one one fun exercise is infusing in comedy. Okay, well, we could just we could just tell them if they have problems sleeping. Like, we're, <laughs> <laughs> do you ever struggle with sleep? Plan, <laughs> act, and reflect is here for you. <laughs> awesome. All right, I'll see you guys next week. Okay, bye, Jeff. All right, bye. I'll be in contact via uh, text about the about getting that. Uh, file ready as I have it.
Okay. All right. See you. Be well, Steve. And you too, Henry. Thanks. Bye.